0: Welcome to the Mejlis podcast, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Piner, host of the Mejlis and author of the weekly Central Asia in Focus newsletter. Our topic in this session of the Mejlis is the recent signs of warming ties between Iran and the Central Asian states. Iran's relations with the countries of Central Asia have seen their ups and downs over the course of the last 30 years, but the Tajik president made an official visit at the end of May, and in June the Turkmen president and then the Kazakh president also visited. And the Iranian president was just in Turkmen capital, Ashgabat, on June 29th for the Summit of Caspian States, which included the leaders of Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan. To discuss all this, I'm joined by Nicole Graevsky. She's a doctoral candidate, but candidate for only a week longer, I might add, at University of Oxford and postdoctoral researcher at the Harvard Kennedy School's Belfare Center doing research on Iran-Russian relations and Iran's foreign policy in Central Asia. Alex Vatanka is the director of the Iran program at the Middle East Institute in Washington, D.C., and author of the recently published book, The Battle of the Ayatollahs in Iran, the United States, Foreign Policy, and Political Rivalry since 1979. Francisco Olmos is a London-based researcher specializing in Central Asian affairs. He is Geopol 21's main researcher covering the post-Soviet space and a research fellow at the Foreign Policy Center. He's written articles for specialized media on Central Asia, such as the Diplomat, Oxus Society, and the Political Room. Thank you all for joining me today. I appreciate you all being here. And Alex, I was, I want to start with you if I could. Could you give us, uh, the view from Iran? What, what might Iranian authorities, what might the Iranian government be seeking from better ties with Central Asia?
1: Thank you, Bruce. Look, I think this government of Ibrahim Raisi is doing two things at the moment. Number one is they desperately need to look for new economic opportunities, trade opportunities, and generally break their, uh, geopolitical isolation the way they see it. And now the Central Asian states from from Iran's perspective is a relatively friendly territory. And I think that's what, um, you know, is pushing Iran forward. How much trade and investment they can get out of it in the short term remains to be seen. But doubtful it's going to be in a significant amounts of money, certainly not going to change Iranian economic fortunes overnight. I also think there's a political dimension to this. The Raisi government, uh, if you look at the Iranian uh, media coverage of, for example, his visit to Ashgabat that you just referenced, you know, so much of this is about petty politics, unfortunately, in Tehran. It's to suggest that Raisi and his foreign policy team have a have a strategic vision going forward with the Central Asian states that, unlike the previous government of Hassan Rouhani, which they argue, the Raisi team would argue, was fixated on the question of how to improve relations with the West, they have a much better vision for Iran's what they call neighborhood policy. The Central Asian states will be a component of that. But as I said before, you know, there will be some – uh, momentum. There certainly is momentum. If you just look at the data, there is momentum. There's an increase in trade. But in terms of the long term vision, uh, we have to wait and see because the and I'll stop here. But the key mom- momentum here, I think it's what is going on in Ukraine. The Central Asian states need to lo- look for alternative routes for their trade. We know that is a hard fact that if Central Asian states are dealing with. Uh, and Iran is a an alternative. It's an important major alternative for them. So I think that is providing momentum. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Iran has thought through exactly what it wants to achieve to be the Central Asian states. It, it might be something that they're thinking about, but it needs to be implemented. And we won't really see the results of that for, for some time to come. But I thought that was a Uh, the sort of big picture that I see in terms of how things are moving forward, uh, Bruce. Thank you, Alex.
0: Um, Nicole, would you comment on the same question, please?
2: Yeah, I tend to take a bit of a different uh, perspective to this is that I think for a long time, the Iranian Iranian successive governments have sought to form ties with the Central Asian states. And this has been marred by a series of political um, sensitivities within the region, especially with Uzbekistan and at times with Tajikistan. But even as early as well, even last year, actually, uh, Zarif's visit um, in April of 2021 to Central Asia kind of indicated this push, um, even from the Rouhani administration, towards potentially forming more ties. And at the time, hopefully, under um, without sanctions under the JCPOA, um, Trump administration JCPOA sanctions. But uh, what with this current push with Raisi, obviously, it fits into the look East pol- policy. But it is focusing on the one thing that Iran really has to leverage with the Central Asian states, and that's economic connectivity, Iran's access to um, alternate markets. And at the time right now, especially with the current situation in Ukraine, uh, this provides an alternate to Russia. But at the same time, the lack of banking channels and there's also difficulties between the business communities and tariffs between the governments. Uh, there's a lot of impediments to this as well. So I think it's cautious, we should be cautious to overstate the significance of these visits, but they do represent perhaps one of the bigger pushes towards Central Asia that we've seen recently.
0: And if I could just uh, have a follow-up question on that, real quick. You know, it's no, it's no secret, of course, that Iran and Russia have uh, pretty good relations, and and they, from in terms of foreign policy, they view things uh, kind of the same way. Any comments on on how Russia might see Iran's you know new warming of ties with Central Asia? I mean, because it, it it really does kind of come at, come at the expense of Russian trade routes that Central Asians have been using.
2: Well, officially, Iran's been trying to portray this as part of the north-south transport corridor, which links up to Russia's view of greater Eurasia. And Iran's been pretty careful on um, its ties to Central Asia. It it does implicitly recognize Russia's like privileged role in the region. I think one thing is with the the recent uh, drone agreement with Tajikistan, which is quite significant. Um, Iran's made a lot of progress um, in terms of UAV technology, and we saw this in the Persian Gulf in 2019. And how Iran could potentially provide some kind of security assistance to Tajikistan that may be viewed with a bit of skepticism in Moscow, though, in general, I think Russia and Iran, their relationship has been dictated by this mutual antagonism towards the West. And I I don't think that Iran would be willing to put itself in a position to, I guess, damage those ties um, at the expense of closer partnerships with the Central Asian states.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm going to get to Fran here, but I also would um, remind everybody that if you want to comment on anything you've heard, or if you have a point that you want to add on to something that you've heard, then then please uh, jump in when you have a chance. Fran, um, you just wrote an article for the Diplomat magazine about busy times in Iranian Central Asian relations. What do you think the Central Asian states are looking for from improved relations with Iran?
3: Well I think there's there's three main, uh, three main components uh, one of them was was touched upon before which is the the connectivity that Iran can provide in terms of uh, from Central Asia towards the Middle East and further afield so we recently saw uh, a train that uh, traveled from northeastern Kazakhstan and is due to arrive in southern Turkey of course crossing Turkmenistan and Iran so that was much publicized during Tokayev's visit to Iran so Connectivity is a is a component. It's not a new component. The the Kazakh uh, Turkmen railway has been there f- since 2014, and uh, Central Asian states use the mostly the Bandar port in Iran. But that's uh, let's say the 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 oldest component of this relationship. Uh, then there's a second component, which probably the catalyst was what happened last year in in Afghanistan, which is security, especially with uh, Tajikistan. As Nicole mentioned, there was this, this drone agreement to to build a, a plant in, in Tajikistan for Iranian drones. And then we have seen the, the special envoy of Iran in Afghanistan do the rounds in June. Uh, he was in, in Tajikistan the 23rd of June, met with the foreign minister. A couple of days later, he was in Tashkent, met with the Tuzbek foreign minister. And a couple of days later, he was in Kyrgyzstan meeting with the Kyrgyz foreign minister. So, of course, the situation in Afghanistan and the emergence of Militant groups uh, is something that is, I think, uh, also serves as a catalyst in this in this relationship. Uh, we saw the the minister um, of uh, Tajikistan mentioning when he met the chief of staff of the Iranian armed forces about uh, joint military exercises, and always referring uh, re- regarding terrorism, which in this case I think is a is a term for. Insurgent and uh, militant groups in Afghanistan. And then there's a third aspect, which is the energy aspect, especially for Turkmenistan. So reaching other markets further afield in terms of gas through swaps, uh, swaps, currently Azerbaijan. There are talks also with Armenia. And also, uh, who knows if the settle, uh, the debt is settled between Iran and Turkmenistan, we might see uh, exports of turbine gas to Iran, not just the swaps, but for Iran's own consumption.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Alex, I want to get to you on the Afghanistan section. I mean, how much, how much cooperation can Iran expect from the Central Asian governments? Can you give me an idea of the level? And I know it changes from country to country. Uh, but for instance, you know, the, the Tajikistan, the Tajik government is, is pretty vehemently anti-Taliban. I mean, they're, they're unwilling to engage with them, uh, on any, any high levels at all. Whereas the other Central Asian governments have at least started a dialogue with, with that Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, how much, uh, how much room is there for cooperation on Afghanistan between Iran and the Central Asian states?
1: Number one to point out is Iran too is having a dialogue with the Taliban. It's not a straightforward one, but they're having a dialogue. But, it, you know, there are hiccups all the time. Just this week, and another Iranian border guard was shot and killed by the Taliban on the border. This does not help. Uh, the confidence isn't there. On a rhetorical level, Tehran is saying that they want to deal with this Taliban, uh, you know, reality in power in Kabul. We saw evidence of that again recently with the earthquake in Afghanistan. The Iranians were one of the first ones uh, in terms of foreign donors to send shipment in. So they are trying on the Iranian side to see if this Taliban is different from the Taliban in the 1990s. But that doesn't mean they don't share exactly the size, same sorts of uh, doubts and reservations that they you know, Tajiks have about the Taliban and I'm sure uh, Afghanistan and what happens in that country is a key reason why you've seen the shift in relations between Iran and and Tajikistan in in the last few um uh, you know certainly last two years or so I think the Iranians uh, while they wait and see will be worried about the security vacuum as we discussed, particularly in terms of anything that looks like the Taliban version zero point, I'm sorry, one point zero. So, which would in these days, 2022, re- basically mean a, a more anti-Iran, anti-Shia movement, which Taliban today claims not to be. So, the alternative to Taliban today, if you're anti-Iran, anti-Shia, is to join up with the ISIS Khorasan. Iran will watch the development there very closely, uh, The what they call, uh, you know, jihadi, uh, Salafist, anti-Iran movements. And right now, the ISIS-Khorasan is the biggest one. Again, that sort of a trend, if it goes in that direction, that would create reason for, for Iran to want to look for cooperation with anybody that shares that concern. And I mean, in the past, we've seen Iran cooperate with India, Russia and the Central Asian states. Something similar could happen again. Uh, It wouldn't be against the Taliban if Taliban remains true what it's saying today, that it's changed. But it would begin against against emerging um, militant Islamist threats like, as I said, ISIS-Khorasan. So the Iranians are keeping their options open here, but let us not kid ourselves. There is plenty of doubt and and concerns in Tehran when it comes to the future of Afghanistan, and surely they're looking to work with like-minded regional states if the the circumstances call
0: for it. Great, thank you. Um, Pran. I'm going to get back to you for a second. Turkmenistan and Iran have kind of a different policy toward the Taliban, uh, a little bit. The Turkmen are, are, are certainly more uh neutral, I would say, if nothing else. Any thoughts on that?
3: Uh yes. I think when it comes to in this in this regard, I don't think uh Turkmenistan will, will, will play a part when it comes to, to Afghanistan. They will they will cooperate or or deal with, with, with any government there, whether it was Taliban or or the regime before that. The relationship with uh with Iran in this case is not in, in Afghanistan and we saw it At least publicly, the Iranian special envoy was not in in Turkmenistan meeting with the foreign minister as it was in other countries. So it's not the main component on, on the relationship. Here, the cooperation is more the, the transit and the energy, energy component of Turkmenistan looking basically for new markets or export routes, not only of gas, but potentially also of electricity, which are, it already exports to Kyrgyzstan and Actually, Afghanistan. So I don't think uh, in the term in case, Afghanistan plays an important role, which it does play, as we mentioned before, uh, with uh, Tajikistan. Uh,
0: Yes, Nicole, please. Uh, Do you have a comment?
2: Well, I wanted to add that uh, Iran's been active in uh, several of the initiatives, um, the diplomatic initiatives, the Chinese led initiative, especially on uh, the neighboring countries of Afghanistan plus Russia. And then also with the SEO contact group, you can think about the Iranian admission to the SEO or the announcement of admission. It's September twenty twenty one as kind of an indication of perhaps Iran's bigger role in this. Of course, the amount of influence or uh, that the SEO contact group or the Chinese-led diplomatic forums have on this Um, is is yet to be seen and and is like unlikely to significantly influence the situation. But it is significant to the extent that Iran has been involved in these forums with the Central Asian states and have at least had forums for dialogue on many of these issues. Um, And in general, I think what is quite known within Central Asia is this emphasis on stability, and Iran tends to share that. So there is that point of commonality. And at the same time with the kind of movement of narco-trafficking, which is something very important for at least Iran and Russia in particular, particular, uh, this could potentially be an area where you might see more cooperation.
0: Uh, let me ask you to comment on this. You know, when, when the Central Asian states became independent in the early 1990s, at, at that time, Iran was viewed as the extremist state, right? They were, they were the fanatical Muslims that a lot of the Central Asian states were worried about. But it, 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 in your opinion, has that view changed? And, and is it because Iran's changed? Or is it because we've seen worse groups show up in Afghanistan?
2: Well, I think the the issue with Iran and Turkey in the early 1990s, which was often floated by the Russians and also Central Asian states about Iran exporting its model or exporting the revolution in the region that subsided around uh, mid 1993 with the Tajik civil war and Iran's um, involvement in that. But also with Iran's recognition that Russia is kind of playing this role. So Iran did take a step back from kind of pursuing really major cultural initiatives or any kind of models of development. And partly because of Islam Karimov's um, hostility towards that, and also this securitization of the Iranian threat. But Iran tends to also share a lot of the same um terrorist groups as a lot of the Central Asian states. So his is something that Iran um, is stated does not, support that kind of brand of Wahhabism. Iran and and many of the Central Asian states share a common view of using domestic groups as potentially extremist organizations. So on that end, I think that there's actually some kind of like-minded partnership going on there where there is externalizing internal sources of um, instability as kind of a source of of, as a way of kind of repressing these kind of movements as well.
0: Okay,
1: uh, and Alex, do you want to add something, please? You know, I just uh, wanted to add that, you know, since independence for the Central Asian states the last 30 years, I mean, in our travels that I have certainly made over the decades, a couple of things have always been there in terms of major factors that shape how the Central Asian states uh, look at the Islamic Republic. One is the, the uh, the regime in Tehran's essentially nature. That was always a concern. I remember in my travels in Central Asia, I was often told that we were actually, they would tell me that they worried about Pakistan more than they would worry about Iran, just because Iran was a Shia majority country and a Sunni majority, uh, Muslim population. They didn't think Iran had a natural way in, but the, the Iranian Islamist model was a concern, uh, for some of the states, um, in Central Asia more so than others, but it was always a factor, uh, that, you know, prevented, uh, the cultural, A geographic proximity to play its part and make economic integration for Iran and the Central Asian states so much more smoother than has been the case. The other reality, the elephant in the room, is the constant U.S. pressure on these states for the last 30 years, always telling them that keep Iran at bay till the Iranian side uh, has a complete dialogue with the United States and the West. So there's been that pressure that I think is still to some extent uh, is in play but the third factor that I think is changing the, to some extent, at least in the short term, as evident by the visits of, by Central Asian lead, leaders to Iran, is the geopolitical changes that we see. The, the, the reality is the Ukraine war has created uh, the necessity for these Central Asian states to look for alternative ways to more world markets. They're always uh, going to be an element of hedging on the parts of Iran's neighbors. Uh, I'm sure as countries in the broader Middle East, Central Asia, look to a possibility of an Iranian new nuclear deal. And Iran, maybe, maybe, it's a big maybe, but it's still there as a potential rejoining the world economy. They want to be there to take advantage of that. But I I say this as well, Bruce. This is important. Those of us who've been covering Iran uh, know that Iran's economy uh, could be in a different place than it is today had the uh, authorities in Tehran made some other foreign policy choices and prioritized the state of their economy. I don't see in Ibrahim Raisi a strategic economic vision that's different going forward. I think there's a lot of politics involved here. I think there's a lot of hope on the part of the Central Asian states. But end of the day, much of what we're discussing here, whether it's energy trade, transit routes, all the rest of it, so much of it will depend on what happens to Iran's overall standing on the international uh, stage. The big investment, the big trade will not happen uh, unless Iran makes uh, you know, a, a decision to go in a different direction, prioritize its economy. The Ukraine war will push Iran's agenda to some extent because it's changed the geopolitics of the region. But end of the day, it, it's a it's a fundamental decision that Ayatollah Ali Khamenei and, and others at the top leadership in Tehran have to make. And I just don't see any signs of that. And that's why I'm a bit somewhat hesitant uh, in terms of calling for a whole new chapter that some people are claiming is about to happen.
0: And Thank you very much for mentioning you know, Russia's war on Ukraine and the need for new trade routes, because that's what I want to get into in the second part of the podcast, uh, which means this is a great opportunity for me to to uh, make another pitch for the podcast and introduce our guests again. This is the RFIRL's Medjly's podcast. It's a weekly show that looks at affairs in Central Asia. Uh, today's topic is Iran, Central Asia and relations. And I am joined today by Alex Batanka, director of the Iran Program at the Middle East Institute in Washington, D.C., and author of the recently published book, The Battle of the Ayatollahs in Iran, the United States, Foreign Policy, and Political Rivalry since 1979. Francisco Olmos is a London-based researcher specializing in Central Asian affairs. He is Geopol 21's main researcher covering the post-Soviet space and research fellow at the Foreign Policy Center. He has written articles for specialized media on Central Asia, such as the Diplomat, Oxus Society, and Political Room. And we have Nicole Graevsky currently a doctoral candidate, not for much longer. We'll be looking forward to to calling her Dr. Nicole in the very near future uh, at the University of Oxford and a postdoctoral researcher at the Harvard Kennedy School's Belfare Center doing research on Iran-Russian relations and Iran's foreign policy in Central Asia. Fran, let's get down to the connectivity part of this. I mean, that seems to be one of the things that's, that's driving this warmer relationship between Iran and the Central Asia. I mean, how important is it for Central Asia... To be able to to have greater access to Iran, if for no other reason than, than as a transit transit country.
3: Yes, I mean the thank you, Bruce. The Iran as a as a transit uh, transit port from Central Asia has been has been there for, for quite a while. I would say, I mean, Uzbekistan under Muzhiyev, his main uh, one of his main objectives in foreign policy is to be able to connect Uzbekistan uh, with ports in the south. Uh, first, he looked at Iran. Then he looked to Pakistan. Uh, he's been uh, quite a, a champion of that. So we have the, the project of the Trans-Afghan Railway to reach Pakistan. But of course, currently it's, it's Iran for him. I would say the, the connectivity principle I mentioned before, it's been there for, for quite some time. The Kazakh Terminal Railway has been there for now eight years. But again, each country has a different view on it. I think uh, currently Kazakhstan, because of the war in Ukraine uh, that we mentioned, is the one that's probably the most interested in this uh, southern uh, route. I mean, Uzbekistan has been interested for a while, but as of the, the last month, uh, probably it's more important for Kazakhstan we saw the, the train leave Pavlodar in um, a few weeks ago. Now there's talks of linking that uh, with China, uh, potentially a Chinese train then going through Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Iran, and eventually Turkey. So it's going to be important for Kazakhstan because of uh, Russia, the, the center of affairs, the, the sanctions that Russia has to face. So finding an alternative is always a positive step. Now, the problem is this is not something that's going to be achieved in the, in the short term. It will take some time. So it won't be a viable alternative. It will be an alternative, but not the main alternative in the, in the near future for Kazakhstan. Uh, for Tajikistan, it's not that important in terms of they don't have that, that connection done. Kyrgyzstan has more interest in the China, Uzbekistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan railway, which is still, you know, in the, in the drawing room. And for, for, um, Turkmenistan, it's mostly about connectivity in terms of energy. But of course, it's the second key component of any connectivity with Iran as all railways have to go uh, through Turkmenistan, whether they come from Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan is going to be the, the key component going forward uh, towards the, the, the West, Iran and, and the Middle East. So, you know, just, just to summarize, like we we're saying, it's, it's important. It's always been important. The war in Ukraine has made it even more important for Kazakhstan specifically, but I don't think in the short term it's going to be something that we're going to see in taking over from, from other other commercial routes.
0: Uh, and just for the benefit of our audience, too, there, there already is existing trade. I mean, the U.S. has exempted a couple of the countries in Central Asia uh, from sanctions on Iran. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what what moves from Central Asia through Iran right right now?
3: Yeah, so currently what we do see is, is freight uh, coming uh, again through Turkmenistan, Turkmenistan has traits with Iran. Also is the transit through through Uzbekistan and, and Kazakhstan, but the actual amount of goods is not it's not that that relevant at this moment in time. So, you know, even though the trade trade is taking place I don't think the commercial aspect is going to be the most relevant in Iranian Central Asian relation, uh, relations. It's going to be more the transit and the energy aspects of it. But I mean, I don't expect uh, Iran to become a important destination of Central Asian exports or vice versa in in the short term, nor in the midterm. I think they're, they're two different uh, economics in, in that regard.
0: But given uh, one one last point, um, given Turkmenistan's dire economic situation, even barter trade with Iran is is an improvement over the situation they got right now. Do you see that growing?
3: Of course, you know, uh, in, in Turkmenistan's uh, point of view, let's say every little helps, whether it's barter trade, I mean, or any other sort of trade. But again, I think uh, Turkmenistan is pressing quite uh, hard for improving or increasing the the swap deals uh, with Azerbaijan, open a new one. Probably with Armenia, there's negotiations between between Iran and Armenia going on, and of course getting that uh, 1.8 billion uh, US dollars that uh, Iran is working uh, to pay to pay Turmenistan back. But of course for the those especially those people living on on the border regions, uh, border trade is important. The the only thing is the pandemic has it did for a couple of years put an end to it. Slowly we're seeing Turkmenistan open again. Not only with commercial flights, but you know, some months ago, started allowing truck drivers to cross through Turkmenistan. Before that, let's say, Turkmen drivers had to take over their Iranian colleagues. So you know, we're we're starting to see a um, the resumption of of trade. And, Every level, but uh, I don't think uh, it's going to be enough to 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 fill in the coffers let's say of Turkmenistan that will only be done by by probably gas and to a much much lesser extent uh, electricity. but for that, infrastructure still needs to be built anyway
0: then I do want to keep on connectivity, but Nicole, I have a question for you too. You mentioned the the nuclear talks on Iran. Kazakhstan actually hosted. A lot of those talks. Do you see Kazakhstan playing any kind of role in in the future talks on the nuclear program? And if so, uh, is it is this just a disinterested, benevolent party that's trying to do it? Or do you think Kazakhstan is also looking for the uh, the future and seeing that there's a potential for a trade route through Iran?
2: Yeah, the talks were in I think of February 2013 in Almaty. The, there has actually been parallels with the current talks in um, Qatar over uh, the JCPOA as kind of the similar to the the talks that were held in Almaty in between these major big negotiations. Well, for Kazakhstan in particular, I, this non-proliferation narrative is is pretty central to Kazakh identity, partly because of um, its experience in um, formerly possessing nuclear weapons and giving them up. But there was a real interest, uh, especially during the Ahmadinejad administration, from the Kazakhs in curtailing Iranian nuclear ambitions. At the moment, um, you know, Kazakhstan's stated goal was non-proliferation. It's unlikely that Kazakhstan will serve as an intermediary, partly because I think the United States and other European nations might see Kazakhstan as uh, being too close in representing the Russian perspective. However, there is a uranium, um, fuel bank, an IAEA fuel bank in Tajik, I mean, in Kazakhstan that, um, has often been used, um, or discussed as being used as a potential place to put, um, Iran's excess, um, fuel. So th- th- that could potentially come into play, but, um, there's been difficulties on that, especially between agreement on where this, where Iran's excess uranium will, um, end up, but it's unlikely uh, in, in short. Okay, thank
0: you. Uh, and Alex, I'm going to ask you the same question too. Do you see Kazakhstan or any other Central Asian country playing any kind of role in, in Iran's nuclear uh, talks with the West? You know,
1: I think that you obviously have a, a stake in this because they, you know, one thing that has always been apparent to me is that Central Asian officials and even, you know, analysts and so forth that I've spoken to over the years – have a sense that, you know, this is a normal country taken, uh, essentially, and I hope I'm not being provocative, but taken uh, hostage by a political uh, gang that just doesn't want to integrate in, in terms of international economics and even regional economics. So there's this sense that you get talking to Central Asian uh, leaders and analysts that it's just a question of time that Iran will come and become a a, a core player in terms of trade And as a hub in Western Asia and the Central Asian states want to be there for that day. What I think they uh, and, you know, it's very attractive when you look at the map, you cannot avoid Iran. And there are all sorts of uh, other drivers right now that are pushing this momentum I, I mean just stepping away from central asia for a second if you look at for example what the gulf states are doing r- right now with iran they're considering iran as a transit route to to turkey uh, using trucks in this case there's a lot being done on this and you know one of the reasons is Pure commercial logic, So, as Canal is extensive. getting your goods to Europe from South Asia through Iran on trucks is actually much more cheaper based on some of the studies that have been done. But look, put all this aside, Bruce, there's a lot of logic that you could you could, uh, you know, bring to a conversation about what Central Asian states could get out of commercial closer commercial ties with. With Iran. There's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be gained there. But I go back to a point I made earlier. You need to get the politics of this straight. You you know, when we're talking about trade, it's not the case anymore that states just simply sign agreements and you have your goods go through a territory. You have companies involved. You have private entities involved that need to do, do their due diligence. Do they want to have their goods on back of a truck that goes from, say, India through Iran to Europe when they have to worry about American or even European sanctions? these are the real obstacles in the way that and the solution to that is not in central asia the solution to that is if tehran manages a in the short term to reach a nuclear deal with the United States and other powers, and B, quickly looks for ways to politically reduce the tensions across the board with so many of its own neighbors. Now, I'm not putting all the blame at the door of Iran. It takes a number of states in the region to have that broader dialogue, but it's essentially a, a political discussion. There's a political solution. It's not about whether transit routes or energy swaps make sense. They make total sense. And the Iranians actually have, you know, they have a deputy foreign minister, Mehdi Safari, whose job is exactly Exactly that. Who is right now negotiating with the Central Asian states. But at the end of the day, he can create the com- commercial logic for it, put everything in front of the politicians. But there's a Supreme Leader in Tehran who might say, well, if it takes me to have to say to the American yes to A and B and C, then I won't play game. Well, that would be the end of that conversation. So I think, you know, we should we should keep in mind that the, the, the politics of this needs to be resolved at the highest level. And once that's taken care of, an Iran that is an integrated part of the region will happen very fast because it's a natural player. It has a lot to offer. And and, and it can also offer neighboring states uh, in terms of uh, what they can do together economically.
0: Thank you. OK, I'm going to uh, I'll ask one more question and I'd like everyone to comment on it and then I'll give you a chance to, to make any comments you want Uh that you think we've missed some points. You know, the the war, the Russia's war in Ukraine is not going to end anytime soon. And, and Central Asia is going to need to find new trade routes. So you were just talking about that, Alex. I think everyone's touched on that a little bit. Is connectivity the basis for, an, uh, for a, a new kind of Iranian, Central Asian relationship? Understanding that like one, again, the war in Ukraine doesn't seem to show any signs of ending, any, ending anytime soon. One would imagine that if it did end with a Russian victory or, or partial victory out there, that the sanctions against Russia would still last for many, many years. So Central Asia is kind of pressed into a corner where they're going to have, literally practically, they head into a corner where they're going to have to find um, new trade routes. So the, so my question is, is connectivity the basis of a friendship? Uh, Nicole, you want to start?
2: I I think the Iranians have long touted their um, potential to foster connectivity uh, with the Central Asian states. But Iranian railways um, itself need to go under significant modernization. And that's faced a lot of setbacks due to the Trump administration sanctions and also sanctions on Russia, which was funding a part of um, a significant rail project. But I I think that that could provide a basis. It's yet to be seen, obviously, Iran's Port of Chabahar, where Uzbekistan has recently signed an MOU on potentially establishing a base there, as well as um, um, other Central Asian countries have also expressed interest from Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. So there are these kind of not primary trade relations or primary economic relations, but that could help. Provide a more durable basis for this relationship. I think that the a lot of the 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 natures of the internal regimes, both um, with Iran and also the Central Asian states, the concern about stability, internal stability, and regime security is also a potential area where you can see um, some cooperation um, between the countries. But in general, um, there's just there's quite a bit of difficulties, and you know they've been talking about connectivity since the early 1990s, and we're just now seeing. some more movement, but it's yet to be seen whether this the war in Ukraine will be the final impetus to actually see it coming to fruition.
0: Thank you very much. And Fran, you know, or just a few minutes ago, you mentioned that they were looking at the route that goes through Afghanistan to Pakistan, right? So this is this already shows that the Central Asians have are setting a precedent where they're willing to overlook a lot of things for the benefit of connectivity. Um so do you see them doing something similar for with Iran?
3: Yes. I mean, I, I think to, to answer to to your question before connectivity will be the basis in the in the medium term or longer term but just as long as it economically it makes sense and is profitable uh also politically as as we know you know in the last five years the central asian states have been collaborating regionally you know, much more than before but uh these these countries or the government are prone to you know makes us every now and then things difficult in the border with in countries sometimes due to personal relationship between presidents and and so on so you know of course for for connectivity to work is all the components in the chain have to be you know uh, on the same on the same boat so to speak and economically has to be it has to be viable i mean they say 12 days for for a, a train from northeastern Kazakhstan to southern Turkey. Now, you know, if that's more profitable than other routes, then connectivity will be an important component. But, you know, it, like you mentioned, if eventually the Trans-Afghan Railway gets built, and, you know, it's a big if, once again, but uh Uzbekistan sees that it's actually more profitable, it's cheaper to get goods through Pakistani ports, then, you know, in this case, um, Iran will fall into the background for Uzbek uh, ambitions and potentially for, for other countries in the region. So at the end of the day, it will all depend on the, and the economics and how profitable or viable, uh, these uh, trade routes through Iran, uh, will be.
0: And Alex, to you, um, you know, and, and like we just were mentioning that Central Asians are no strangers to trading or trading with or through pariah states. Uh, do you think connectivity is the basis for a new Iranian Central Asian relationship?
1: No, I agree with you, Bruce. I think that has been the case. I mean, I mentioned American pressure to keep Iran out, and I think that was uh, has been true. And the integration between Iran and the Central Asian states definitely has been limited due to U.S. pressure on the Central Asian states. But nonetheless, the Central Asian states never shut the door. And there's always been trade, not not necessarily significant. There's always been trade. And in terms of you know, I guess the question we have to ask here is when it comes to the issue of Iran's relations with the uh, with the Central Asian states, certainly in the economic uh, area, there are two paths here. You can go big or you can go small. I mean, to me, going small is what we've been talking about here. I mean, swap deals between Iran and Turkmenistan, which basically, for your listeners, Iranian population is concentrated mostly in the north. Uh, closer to the Turkmen border whereas Iranian natural gas is almost all located in the Persian Gulf so it takes a bit of an effort to take the gas to your population centers so the swap makes a lot of sense to buy the gas at the right time in the year when the demand is optimal and you give uh, you know whatever either in financial dollar terms or you give gas for the Turksmen later on in in return and that that's how the logic for the, the commercial activity. Um, so that's a, thinking small. That, that's a swap that is limited, essentially, to bilateral relations. Or you can say, hey, hang on a minute here. Turkmenistan happens to be one of the uh, largest uh, reserves of natural gas on the planet. Iran has the second largest natural gas reserve in the, in, on the planet. And, hey, Ukraine war has meant that Europe wants to get itself off uh, Russian gas. And they're looking for alternative places to get that gas. If the politics uh, of this was taken care of, if Iran could politically get itself to a position where it could be considered as a, as a, as a source for your oil and gas, uh, not just to China, which Iran already delivers, but to Europe, the European continent. And, and if they could be open uh, so much so that European and American and others would go in and invest and bring Iranian gas production up because people forget Iran today is one of the largest gas produces in the world, but consumes 80 percent of that gas internally, they could free up a lot of that gas with better technology, with investment that could create opportunities for export if the politics of this was in play to Europe, which means dollars will come back into Iranian bank account. So it and, and the Central Asian states like countries like Turkmenistan would benefit, Iran would benefit. But again, I go back to a point I said, you need to prioritize your state of your economy to get to this promised land, if you will. And I just don't see that strategic vision on the part of the Islamic Republic. Iranian analysts have been screaming for years and years about things could be done differently that could make Iran into a much more powerful economic player. But the foreign policy of the place still has to catch up. And until that day, I think we're going to be still playing on the margins. And I'll stop there, Bruce.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Okay, well, it's time for uh, last comments or, or points that anyone wants to make. And Nicole, since you are on the eve of becoming a doctor, uh, I will let you go first.
2: Well, um, I mean, in general, I think that Iran's relations with Central Asia shouldn't be viewed as kind of homogenous. Iran has uh, different priorities depending on each country in the region. But Iran does see Central Asia as a potential area to potentially offset some of the effects of international isolation. Uh, this still isn't a priority in Iranian foreign policy. Iran's east policy tends to emphasize Russia and China and then to a lesser extent, India. And then sometimes the Central Asian states are thrown thrown in there. But and, and there's still somewhat of a what Alex was talking about, there's still somewhat of a lack of strategic vision when it comes to um, its relations with countries in the region. So these these trips that we've seen recently from Central Asian leaders to Tehran, they're significant. They they represent somewhat of a, a warming of relations between Tehran and the region. But it's not determinative of a, a future relationship that's uh, without problems or without obstacles. So I think to look at it with a bit of skepticism going forward.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Fran, any, any points you want to make that yep. we didn't take here?
2: So I think uh, in the
3: in the short term, what's going to be interesting to see is how the security links between Tajikistan and Iran develop. And there were countries that uh, had, uh, let's say, their ups and downs in the nineties. Uh, so let's see if they, we see them in the near future holding joint military exercises. Uh, how that uh, military cooperation takes shape. And then just to to reiterate the point, I think uh, when and if. Iran settles finally the debt with, with uh, Turkmenistan, the opportunities that that can open between uh, both countries in terms of bilateral relations. Are we going to see Turkmenistan export gas to Iran, not as part of swap deals, uh, as we mentioned before, but as for for uh, Iran's consumption, as it did in the, in the past? So, you know, in the short term, those are things that I'll be uh, looking for. And in the long term, let's see how viable this railway connection that we mentioned uh, from Kazakhstan all the way, to Turkey becomes, and if it's going to go towards China and uh, be profitable, uh, it will be just more of a one-off sort of publicity uh, stunt.
0: Okay, and uh, Iranian-Central-Asian relations. Alex, last word to you.
1: I mean, I've been somewhat uh, pessimistic about all this, but you have to forgive me. I've been covering Iran for 25 years, and I've been here before, as all of us, I'm sure, have been here before. So it's important not to sort of let public uh, announcements and and you know declaration of agreements sort of uh, mean that we're at the verge of something major we could be at something merger as i said the the natural factors at play here that should enable iran and the central asian states to be much uh, closer and bigger economic partners are all there, but the politics needs to be taken care of. I guess on a positive note, what I certainly sense in the Arab world, in, in Middle East, not in Central Asia so much, but certainly in the Middle East, what we have seen uh, in the last year or so is the region is moving away from the zero sum game, game competition for power, the geopolitical race that, you know, was so Big part of life in in the broader Middle East after the Arab Spring in 2011, countries like Saudi Arabia, UAE, Turkey, they're all looking for economic, uh, you know, opportunities. They're looking to rebuild at home. They're looking for spending less money in, in chasing geopolitical projects and creating jobs for the youth and that desperately need a job in a country like Iran when you got. 30% of your under-25 unemployed, they need to do that. So if if the Raisi government, if the Islamic Republic goes in the direction of putting the economy first, creating the, the conditions for investment to come in, for jobs to be created, they Central Asian states can play a role in that. I don't think the Central Asian states will you know, be a make-or-break-it moment for the Iranians, but there could certainly be a, a significant economic component uh, in terms of Iran's overall trade strategy. Uh, but again, I I, I feel that the, the, the officials in Tehran need to make a clear decision that they actually want to, if you will, fix their economy, which requires some hard political adjustments to be made in terms of the relations with bigger uh, players, principally the United States. Once that has been achieved, I think you can, you can expect, uh, in the long term, a whole different, qualitatively different relationship between Iran and the Central Asian states on the economic front. But that is only a prospect because we could stay where we are, where trade will be limited. People will make all sorts of promises, but nothing major
0: happens. That, that, that's the alternative. Thank you very much. And, and thank you all for being on the program today. Uh, so once again, thank you, Francisco Olmos, for being on the program. And I thank you, Nicole Graevsky, for being on the program and Alex Patonka for being on the program. It was wonderful to have you here. Uh, and a special thanks to Nathan Shoemaker, who's our Medjly's podcast producer in Washington, D.C., And a reminder that you can subscribe to the East podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting RFARL's website at RFARL.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.